Hey, this is Rob and that's Micaiah and you are listening to You Forgot One today on You Forgot One, my favorite album of all time, The Joshua Tree. Micaiah, U2 has been nominated four times for the Album of the Year Grammy. They have won it twice, once in 2005 for How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb and once in 1987 for Joshua Tree. What do our listeners need to know right up front about maybe the best album of 1987? I mean, let's talk about you too. So um, their first album comes out in 1980. It's called Boy, and it's, it's a pretty big hit. Right, it's a band from they're in this like alternative new wave scene, a um, lot of energy. And I think if people who are only familiar with you know Joshua Tree stuff listen to Boy, you might be kind of surprised as to as to what you hear. There, there's a little bit more punk rock energy to them because uh, they're coming from punk rock, that anti prog thing, no shredding, no guitar solos. Right. And so that's why it's more riff heavy and strumming. And when that gets old, right, that's why Edge starts to develop new ways to play the guitar. Right. That isn't just strumming along like a folk song, but isn't shredding like Jimmy Page. Right. So that's part of what makes him so great. It's so successful that like pretty immediately follow up with their sophomore album. That is a pretty classic sophomore slump. Right. This happens a lot, especially in this time period where a band has been rehearsing and playing these like 10 songs over and over again, have them perfected because they've been playing them for years. It's a hit. And so they go into make a second album. They have nothing except for maybe a couple good songs and it's a slump. Then they uh, come out with war, which has a couple of mega hits um, equal to some of the mega hits on Joshua tree. And now they are an established band by 1983. Um, And I think it's after war they interviewed Bono and he was saying something like, yeah, you know, you reach a point where you can continue to be like a, like a cool rock band or you can go and be the who. And then, so they follow up with unforgettable fire, which is even, I'm not going to say stranger or more challenging than war. Um, but it's, it still has that kind of raw energy to it. Um, but they're definitely getting even more into like that, the pathos of you two really arrives there. Th- that's, you know, um, and then with the success of that, you know, that comes out in 84, uh, 1987 rolls around. And then you have, you know, still their best selling album, uh, Joshua Tree, which wins Grammy of the Year and really propels them into just being, you know, like one of the great rock bands one of the important rock bands so that's you two up to this point for joshua tree still to be their best-selling album i i think is saying quite a bit um and joshua tree is also an album that i think is elevated or at least celebrated by the documentary film that comes out in 1988 of the band on their North American tour, Rattle and Hum. And I think there's a lot of people for whom Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum go hand in hand. And so that 
unique period, that 87, 88, 89 period, uh, where, as you said, U2 kind of becomes the biggest rock band in the world. Um, you know, huge stadium concerts, sellout crowds everywhere they go. Um, there's no say one thing to put them in perspective, just how big they are. Go ahead. At that, th- those Grammy, those Grammys, when they won album of the year, they beat Michael Jackson for bad and Whitney Houston. Bad sign of the times in the Whitney Houston album that year. Yeah. That's something that's not, that's not nothing. Yeah. You know? Because the Grammys had no problem, you know, giving Michael Jackson a bunch of trophies. Yeah. So Man in the Mirror won record of the year and song of the year that year. Mm-hmm. But album but album went to Joshua Tree. Man in the Mirror, which by the way, a very kind of a U2 pathos as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is my favorite album of all time. And I'm grateful, Micaiah, that we're finally getting a chance to talk about it. I think it's probably worth mentioning. You and I both have had the experience of playing music in our lifetimes in churches. Mm -hmm. And it would be disingenuous for us not to mention that you too might be the single most influential band on modern evangelical church music. I mean, listen, listen to a Christian rock station right now. Turn it on. You're going to hear like that classic edge delay kind of riff to set some sort of um, tone, right? There's, there's something in that tone something that's either contemplative or meditative that, that elevates the soul, that's meant to elevate the soul, that works with U2 music. And I don't know if churchgoers, you know, just thought of, you know, going to U2 concerts and being in a big crowd and hearing those sounds and just like being swept with emotion to where somehow that easily translated to, I mean, I mean, I, I think, you know, that U2 are basically, I mean, th- they're an arena rock band. They're not poison, right? But they are an arena rock stadium rock band. They that's just that's just the audience that they have. That's just the size of their audience. You know? So I think that sound, right, translates very easily to a mega church. Mm-hmm. That also has a big audience, some of them in arenas and stadiums also. And to fill that sound, it's gonna take more than a choir. It's gonna take amplification of guitars and you know why not think of the best arena rock guitarist who's pretty squeaky clean mm-hmm. right and it already has like a religious kind of message typically um right it, it translates very easily into uh the rock and roll church spaces you know yeah. So, I mean, I mean, but not, not just in America too. I mean, like a Hillsong from Australia, right. They, they've also yeah tapped into this, you know? So it's, I think that's another kind of thing that's complicated about you too. It's like, what, like, Oh, where, where is their influence? You know, like they're one of the biggest rock bands of all time. Who have they influenced? And the people they've influenced the most are contemporary Christian rock bands like praise and worship bands not even like christian rock bands like praise and worship 
like yeah. gospel music essentially for that doesn't make them one of the cool rock bands you know that that legacy i also don't know that u2 has ever been cool um and that's okay with me mm-hmm. so it's my favorite album of all time it is an album you're not wild about and maybe don't even think is u2's best album so we needed someone to help bring some outside opinion into this one so who's our guest today our guest is a big YouTube fan, and he's a previous guest of this podcast. So longtime listeners uh, would have heard him on our Stevie Wonder episode, and they can go back and listen to it. We when we talked about Inner Visions uh, versus Songs in the Key of Life, and he actually wrote the 33 and a third book on Songs in the Key of Life. He also works with uh, Disgraceland Pod and all of their like sister podcasts. Uh, he's a very busy person, always has exciting news uh, with, with all of those podcasts that he's working with. Uh, and his name is Seth Lundy and we got to have him back. He's, he's been so busy. So it's been hard to get him back to come on to talk about some more music. And we got him today for one of his favorite bands. So it's a, it's an exciting day over at you forgot one. I love it. We're going to take a quick break, let you hear from mirror coffee roasters, and then we'll be back to talk with our guest, Zeth Lundy about you two's the Joshua tree. I want to take a second and tell you a little bit about Mirror Coffee Roasters. Mirror Coffee Roasters are pursuing excellence from coffee, farm to cup. They're here to elevate your home coffee experience and help you to reflect what's good. Mirror Coffee Roasters are based in Bellingham, Washington, but they are bringing you the finest coffees from all around the world with sustainability as their first priority. Just three years old, Mirror Coffee Roasters are getting set to launch an entire new lineup of coffees. So check them out at mirrorcoffeeroasters.com.
Um, you know him from our first season of the podcast. He helped us uh, talk about Songs in the Key of Life, a an album that he wrote about for the 33 and a third series. He is also um, behind so much of the content that you hear on Disgraceland, Badlands, 27 Club, and Blood on the Tracks. Uh, we love everything that he's behind and he is always a pleasure to talk to. He is Zeth Lunday. Zeth, it is so good to have you back with us. Thank you guys so much. I'm I'm stoked to be here, and I, I love talking with you guys and hanging out. And it's it's been a minute, so let's let's get into it. Absolutely. Let's. Well, let's let's start here. Um, you know, Zeth, you and I are are the elder statesmen in the room. Mm. Um, so let me ask, what was your first exposure to you two? And what was your first uh, impression of Joshua Tree? All right. So forgive me if I go on for a minute here, but this is, this is a major moment in my life. So it's 1988. I am, depending on what, what month it was, I, was, I turned 11 in 88. So I was 10 or 11. And um, up until that point, I was, I was super into music from as, as long back as I can remember, but I was really into like oldies radio. I used to listen to oldies, the oldies station with a cassette tape. I would actually call in and request, you know, songs by Herman's Hermits and like Paul Revere and the Raiders and like all kinds of crazy stuff and tape it or whatever. Um, U2 is like the first contemporary band that I latched onto as a kid. And I believe it was when desire came out as a single from rattle and hum, Mm. That was the, it, this was after Joshua tree. So I, I come in like a year after Joshua tree rattle and hum um, YouTube. So not only was YouTube my first like uh, obsession for as a contemporary band, as a music lover, but it was also the first uh, uh, movie documentary I ever, I ever bought. I bought the VHS tape of rattle and hum the first t-shirt. I bought the t-shirt of the rattle and hum cover the first band biography I ever read when I was 11, I bought, I went out and bought, I forget who wrote it or what it's called, but it was this old biography of the band. And so I was like fully in on, on YouTube because of rattle and hum. And then from there, I went backwards uh, through their catalog, of course, Joshua tree. And as you know, on rattle and hum, which is half of it's a live record and half of it's studio stuff, but all the, a lot of the live stuff is stuff from Joshua tree. So I sort of, a lot of the, the Joshua tree songs I almost heard for the first time really listening 
via the rattle and hum versions and then went backwards to the studio and then of course followed them as they continued to put stuff out. But so for me, uh, U2 has always had this like special place, uh, in my heart and, um, uh, I love them forever. And at some point I sort of became too cool for school as a lot of people did, I think. And sort of was like, I've, I've graduated beyond you two. Um, and then when you get a little bit older in your forties, you realize like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I'm going to, I like what I like and I like you too. So, um, so I went backwards to the Joshua tree and I, and I just, and what I loved about the Joshua tree when I discovered it going backwards was like side B of the Joshua tree, like all this, all the songs that you didn't hear on the radio or didn't hear in rattle and hum for me, when I first discovered the Joshua tree and still, I think to this day, um, it's, it's like the, it's like the B side of a single. It's like, it's all these other songs that nobody talks about that, um, that I really dug into when I first, first got into that record. It's interesting. You are about two and a half, three years older than I am. And I have so, I mean, almost the identical experience. Um, I can remember the very first time um, a friend of mine had showed me, you know, how to like tape over the part of uh, cassette tape so that you could record over them. Um, You know, so I, I remember taking like old tapes of my mom's, um, in recording the radio over them. And I can distinctly remember with or without you, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Streets have no name. Um, you know, listening for those songs on the radio and taping them, you know, uh, over my mom's old cassette tapes, um, (laughs) along with, along with like, uh, in the name of love from, you know, pride in the name of love from, uh, um, unforgettable fire and desire from rattle and hum. And so I I had, you know, my earliest U2 stuff was, you know, recording them from the radio and just falling in love, um, with, with this music, And it's so, you know, just so interesting that like, I I think maybe for you and I both being at that kind of perfect age where, you know, when you two was really great in the, in the eighties and in, in the early nineties, really, really loving them. And then for me, by the time that I was in middle school and high school, Zuropa and pop came out. And so they, they went through this kind of really, you know, embarrassing phase um, and then, you know, now as an adult, I go back and I listen to those albums and there, you know, there's, there's better stuff there than I had remembered. Um, it's certainly hard to, you know, it, it, given all that was popular in the nineties, it's, it's hard to give them too hard of a time for that. But then when I was in college, when all that you can't leave behind and, um, how to dismantle an atomic bomb came out that, you know, it was like, it was that thing of kind of what you're talking about. Like for me, I didn't have to wait to my forties to, to return back to really loving this band. It was sure, in sure. my early twenties being like, no, they, this, this is a great band and I will stand by my, my deep love for them. Um, even though, you know, I, though I have seen them in concert more, you know, on, on the recent albums, um, just because, you know, having, you know, being an adult and having money to be able to go see them on tour that I didn't right. have when I was younger. Um, you know, 
I, I'm not as crazy about the the newer stuff that's come out lately, but it still gives you an opportunity to hear them do streets have no name live. Cause they'll never do a concert without doing it. Yeah. And that's worth it for me. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I, I will say I, I hung with them all through all that you can't leave behind. I love Zuropa. I love pop. I think pop's got wake up dead man and please, which are probably, if I was making a list of my top 10 YouTube songs, they would be on there. And I think also pop has these, just like Octum Baby or Unforgettable Fire, Pop has these amazing like sonic textures in like the guitars and stuff that are just like, no one was doing that. And I know they got a lot of shit for like the whole like disco tech thing, but like, I'm going to say, man, I love that song. And I think that Unforgettable Fire up through Pop and like including in there Rattle and Hum and including the the Passengers original soundtracks, uh, weird record they made. Like, I think that's a that's just an incredible run there. And yeah. I will I will defend that till the day I die. and even in the early 2000s like 80s music was thriving like they like immediately like the best of the 80s and the 90s best of the 80s 90s and today like it's just like it was you know that music didn't go away from like big popular radio stations so you felt like i always heard the big three and like you know sunday buddy sunday one from october baby you know, the, the stuff just always there and, you know, and wa- growing up watching award shows, you know, I 
I see them there. I see Bono in his leather jacket and his like slick back hair and his like glasses and edge with his beanie. And they all just kind of, you know, it's just like, you know, like I don't, I don't remember the first time I heard of REM or, you know, they're just like, they just were the culture. They're just, Got it. Yeah. you just go to the grocery store and they're on the magazines. You can turn on the TV and there they are. You go into the ward shows. There they are. You know, they, you get the Batman forever soundtrack They're They both are, I think, uh, you know, so they just were everywhere. So, but there was never a point where I was just like, those guys are cool. Like I never like looked at edge and Bono as like, those guys are cool. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's just like never clicked. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause they had kind of, they had kind of, they had gone from, I don't know if they were underdogs or whatever they were in the beginning. And then they, they, they hit mega stardom with Joshua tree. And then they and then they had all that, the, the stuff that happens after you become a megastar, which is they got weird and they got self-indulgent and, and um, I mean, you, you know, they, they've sort of been their own worst enemy at times, uh, mm-hmm. you know, post all this, the last 20 years of their, of their career. However, like, you know, like the whole, the whole narrative of, of uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing with them putting their, their record in people's iTunes account, it's like, it's like the it's like the music snobs version of like clutching your pearls it's like if in 1987 if a if a major band was like here's our free album yeah rob, rob we would have all been like awesome give me your free album this is amazing right. and now it's like oh i can't have my my perfectly curated uh music collection tarnished with this record like mm-hmm. these guys are a bunch of posers whatever like i don't buy that and um so anyways for whatever reason i f- i feel like their legacy uh, and maybe Micaiah to, to the way that you came into them and when you sort of, they were already on their way to sort of like, you know, jumping the shark or whatever. And, um, and so uh, uh, maybe, maybe I just had this perspective of them back when they were something different, you know, I, I just feel like they became the old guys very quickly. Yeah. Because yeah. the nineties the were really about youth and, you know, like young artists, like, you know, uh, but like letting some people come back, Tom Petty, Neil Young, and then Dylan in 97. Everyone else was just kind of, but, you know, because you can like draw the line to them, be like, okay, well, Neil's like pretty much the the godfather of, of grunge. So like, he's still cool, but everyone else like pretty much was out of touch, you know, but even in the early 2000s, like I remember hearing Beautiful Day and like Elevation all the time, but I feel like like, I feel like I saw them in a lot of like commercials or in like TV shows. Like they, they never felt like, I mean, they, they've always, they've always just kind of been like the thing. It's just like the band you hear in the grocery store kind of thing. It's just like, you, you're just always going to hear them. And there's it, nothing yeah. particularly cool about it. You, you two from Joshua tree on, like everything is perfectly in place. Yeah. I mean, that's what I love about Joshua tree too, is that it's mm-hmm. such a clean, everything's in place record. I don't know that U2 has ever been cool. Like in, 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 in what I mean, in maybe when I say cool, I, mean, I, I agree, mean, but <laughs> so uh, there is a certain, there is a certain distance of coolness. There, there is this um, like certain like disengagement of, of cool. And especially in the nineties, like I think about so much of nineties music in you know, and what was cool in the nineties was like kind of being like disconnected and, and disinterested. Sure. And, and like 
for better or for worse, the thing that I have always loved about you two is they were, they have always been the, the earnest band. Like they, they have, they have always had a sincerity um, that, that almost feels like trying too hard for a lot of people. But I think, I think it, I think they mean it. I don't think it's put on at all. But I, I think that the sincerity combined with sometimes Bono's kind of like over the top view of celebrity as this thing to be, you know, used for greater purpose. Um, I, you know, I think he means it. And I think that, you know, <laughs> to, you know, to use the Gen Z sling that my kids use, like, I think he's got the receipts for it. Um, but at the same time, like, there's so much of their career where that has not been a cool thing. I don't know that being cool was ever the, the aim of you two. Um, you know what I, I think? You're, I think you're right. I think you're hitting on something there that I hadn't really thought about before. Like it just, it doesn't seem to be like so, so much of their career in the eighties seems to be like this, like almost accidental uh, rock band thing. Like I, I don't, you know, and especially when you hear their story, like so much of it seems to be like they should not have made it as a band. Like, and, and they're not even, you know, aside from, um, you know, I, I think the edge is a unique and generational talent in terms of the guitar. And, and I think that the four of them growing up together and remaining a band together has allowed them you know, the ability to play together is a, is a band that functions really well. Um, but, but really other than the edge, like no one in the band is particularly that gifted or talented a musician. Yeah. And they're not the kind of band where like, you know, like, like you look at like the heartbreakers, like they would go off and back up other people and other records and stuff. And, um, or like the attractions or the E street band or whatever, no one's, no one's calling up like Adam Clayton to be like, Hey, can you come, <laughs> can you come yeah. like lay down which is which i'm in a that is that is in no means meant to meant to to diss on adam clayton because he's i feel like the the purpose that they all serve in that band is incredible like the rhythm section does things that no other rhythm section does no one sounds like them nobody can sound like them but it's a very um it's a very specific thing that they do and it doesn't translate well outside of the band. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think you're right, Rob. I think there's like, like cool kids in the eighties weren't being like, I want to be like you too, you know, like, um, so even before they were deemed uncool by everybody, they kind of were uncool, but that said, while they were uncool, they were, well, unforgettable fire and Joshua tree and Octum baby and Zuropa. Like they were, they were, uh, doing things that nobody had done before in music and creating these like textures and sonic elements that no one had really ever. I mean, I, it's, I still think that a lot of the things they did are just they're They, not only were they groundbreaking for the time, but they still sound really, really dope today, which is cool. See the stone set in your eyes. See the thorn twist in your side. I'll wait for you Slide of hand and twist of faith On a bed of nails she makes 
It's weird because, like, I've been thinking about it's like, you know, for so long, I haven't even thought of U2 as, like, a band. Like, they're they're just, and you can take this, this is such a U2 thing, like, you can take this either negatively or they're the greatest rock bands. Like, they've never felt like a band. They're just, like, a force of music that's just happening, you know, just, like, a force, which for them, they're probably, like, absolutely. But, <laughs> like, like but I don't know that I mean it necessarily to be like, they're a force to be reckoned with, but they're just, you know, and, and that a lot of, I think, I think that is like their sound too. Cause they're so much of it's just like things you can't really understand right when you're listening to it, which does make them interesting. Um, but when I, when I think of like rock bands, you know, in like live acts, like you couldn't get any further thinking of the great bands of the eighties and so far reviews like the replacements and you two, you couldn't get any further from a different live show than like the replacements who can't finish a set sometimes versus you two, which is like are actively trying to create some sort of like arena experience. And so for me, the way I've been thinking of you two and I've gone through their discography multiple times, even though I don't like them, um, not that I don't like them, just like I'm, I'm not like a fan. I'm not going to wear the T-shirt, you know. Um, I, if I didn't like them, I wouldn't listen to every album multiple times. Um, yeah, I have to like them to like some extent, you know. So to me, like they're not like alternative rock as much as they are like an alternative arena rock band. It's just like, well, if you don't want to listen to Rat and Scorpions, you could listen to U2 because they're both arena rock. But U2's arena rock is is a different kind of arena rock that's meant for people who aren't going to look like they stay up for headbangers ball. Yeah. And, and they jump to arena rock pretty, pretty quickly. I mean, like live, live at red rocks is from the early eighties. I mean, well, that's they, what's so crazy. They, they, they slummed around in the, in the small clubs for a very short period of time before they were playing huge stadiums. And they've been, yeah. been on that level for like, you know, 40 years now. What drives me nuts is you, I think in their in the early part of their career, pre Joshua Tree, the best thing that they did for their entire career was release um, under the Blood Red Sky, mm-hmm. that like eight song live oh, album. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the I best wore thing that they did. Out. Yeah, that's the best thing they they could have done career wise in the early part of their career because that record rules. Oh, right? it's awesome. It, yeah. it, and what I 
and there's i mean that's a band right like you you really hear like oh now i understand what everyone in this band is doing and what they're bringing to the table and they're yelling and they still have irish accents then you get to rattle and hum just like i don't even think these guys are irish anymore <laughs> yeah you know like it's it's it, they they are you could not like it, it, they are just two completely different bands having two live albums just a few years apart you know and and there's something about like that dichotomy that i think is where my tension is with you two well let me let me kind of use that as as a kind of way to to move us in a different direction you mentioned there that in in you know hearing how they sound by the time you get to you know joshua tree you know that it almost like doesn't even sound like they're you know, you listen to Rattle and Hum, it almost doesn't even sound like they're Irish anymore. And, you know, the, the album, you know, it's been written about them and they've said publicly, you know, from from the release of Boy, you know, the, they've got all the albums that come out before Joshua Tree, they have toured like four and five months period of time touring the U.S. just because the U.S. is so large in comparison to the U.K., it just takes so much longer to tour it and they really fall in love um, with, with touring the U S and then especially by the time, you know, war comes out they're you know, they're really touring the U S at, at great length. And they do the same thing after unforgettable fire. And they have written that Joshua tree is, is so much of kind of an exploration of America as an idea and then America, you know, the, the ways in which the reality of America they encountered in all of that touring did not m- match the idea. So this kind of practical versus mythical idea of America and then what America has come to represent. So kind of America as stand in for Western world, developed world, technological world, you know, kind of all of these things. But but it's this kind of idea that tension at play in the album that is Joshua tree. And so in some ways, like this focus on America in whether in reality or ideologically uh, or mythically kind of really takes on so much of, of what becomes Joshua tree. And, and, you know, it admittedly, they become America's biggest band by 1988 um, so, I mean, how do you see that play out? What are the, what are the ways that like you connect to that sentiment as, as we think about Joshua tree as an album? Well, first of all, I think it kind of stems back to, I mean, you know, the Beatles, uh, um, uh, even Makai, the clash, like all these bands from across the pond and, and who look at America as this like mythic place where, you know, rock and roll came from and, um, all these, all these things and and songs from the sixties and the fifties and the sixties and the seventies that, that, that they want to visit. And I think what's cool about, and I don't know if this will answer your question, Rob, uh, but I think what's cool about the Joshua tree is that um, this fascination with America. And I know Bono was reading, you know, Norman Mailer and, and Flannery O'Connor and Raymond Carver, which is interesting because Springsteen read a ton of Flannery O'Connor when he did, Nebraska as well. But what's cool about this is that I feel like 
it's this influence that was absorbed into them. And they didn't make a record that when I listen to the Joshua tree, I'm not like, Oh, that's their American record. Like that. You know, this is their, this is their blue song. And this is their, their Memphis uh, rock and roll song or whatever it. And I think this is what separates great artists from, from artists who are just doing pastiche or whatever, but it sort of got into them and allowed them to make a, I mean, they made a record that sort of, it's this, it's uh, uh, I wrote down this quote that, that Stephen Thomas Erlewine from the All Music Guide said in his review, but never before have U2's big messages sounded so direct and personal. They were able to sort of, it's this big thing that appeals to not just America, not just Ireland, but the world um, delivered in a very, uh, a very succinct way. I don't know. I don't, I don't listen to it. I don't hear an American record. I just hear, I think what I'm hearing is these American influences that made their way into the way that the songs were constructed and the lyrics were written and the vibe was created and it, mm -hmm. it, it kind of created this whole new thing, if that makes sense. I'm with you because I think because I, I thought about this too everything that Rob is talking about and like you know the name of the record and the cover even and thinking about this sound you know and so it, it's and, the, and their success in America and like well they're 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 filling stadiums now not just clubs and just thinking of them as trying to be people whose music and their sound especially Edge um, who's really obsessed with with sound, you know, and, yeah. and sonics, um, thinking about how to, you know, and thinking about America and touring America and spending so much time in, on buses or vans and thinking about those landscapes and thinking about how do I capture what it's like to just be wandering in these massive landscapes. And I've always just pictured you know, like those, those big delay rifts, ding, 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 you know, just like mm. it's something that's meant for a rock and roll stadium, like an arena show or something you hear grocery shopping now, you know, cause I, I hear all these things <laughs> way later, you know, but I, I think it's edges intention to, you know, it's, 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 it's supposed to be evocative of a desert plane or the Oklahoma Plains or whatever is something to, that's supposed to be so enormous. And, you know, the soundscape uh, being a surrogate for these large landscapes, mm -hmm. there's something so not, you know, it's the, with the way that the delay pedals work and, and the reverb and, and, you know, the, the different sounds he's creating are creating things that don't sound, especially if you don't play guitar. And if you're not familiar, like, you know, with how these sounds you know, are created, 
it doesn't sound like a guitar. It just sounds something like ethereal. And, but I've never listened to the record and thinking of myself, you know, being in the desert and hearing, you know, like all the delay and the swells and everything, which I think is what they're trying to do, but something I, I, I may have missed the bus for. But you've got a good point there because Unforgettable Fire uh, is a, uh, murky's not the right word. It's a very like congested kind of, it's an, it, it's an amazing sound. Again, there's no record in their collection that sounds like that, but it's a congested sound. And there's this like wide open, uh, clean sound in Joshua tree. A lot of that's the delay pedal and the, and the interplay between, um, uh, Larry Mullen and Adam Clayton and, uh, and, and yeah, it, it is sort of this wide open, wide open American spaces, you know, like, kind of vibe to it for sure you know thinking about unforgettable fire is the is the record that comes before this and there are the things thematically whether it's um in you know in pride mlk um a sort of homecoming um you know elvis elvis presley in america they're all these things, on the nose yeah they're all these things thematically <laughs> in lyrically an unforgettable fire that actually seem way more concerned with America a, as an idea in, if anything, in terms of the sound, like sonically bad is actually the song in unforgettable fire that seems to have yes. the most direct impact sonically into what so much of Joshua tree ends up sounding like. Um, and, and you did make a point, Seth, earlier where you talked about how intentionally produced, like every, everything seems so neatly organized in, in Joshua Tree. And, and so it's so maybe intentionality, like not, not to say that any U10, U2 album isn't, isn't done intentionally, but there's, there seems to be so much care and concern on the band's part, on Daniel Lanois and Brian Eno's part, and in Flood and Steve Lilly White as engineers coming in on this album, like it's like a it's like an a, a plus list, heavy hitters. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean this this is an I mean there are so many. I mean, obviously Brian Eno, you know, has you know Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois have had career before this right this period, you know, and and have have worked with big, you know, whether it's. Um, you know, <laughs> whether it's David Bowie or um, Talking Heads, like the, the are, there are producers that have had obviously, you know, kind of big work before, but there are so many, I mean, Steve Lilly White, you know, Flood, like their careers are really made off of working on these albums. Mm -hmm. um, but it is so interesting thinking about that. I, I think... I think that the things that I imagine around this album are so informed by the, the documentary film rattle and hum. And so mm -hmm. I, I think so much of rattle and hum in what the documentary film becomes about becomes the, the filter through which I hear this album today, even maybe if some of that stuff isn't, isn't there as much on the nose as I imagine it to be, because as we're talking about, yeah, like unforgettable fire, lyrically is way more the America album than Joshua tree is, but it's because of rattle and hum that I think of this album that way. That's the problem with you too, you know, is, you know, the, the difference between like the record and the live show, you know, like, uh, 
the uh, every like when they toured for like Octane Baby and Zuropa, like that's when he starts to do like the Mephisto and the Fly. He's like, oh, I'm being told I'm taking myself too seriously. I have the solution. I'll come out as the devil. And then I'll condemn everyone for liking pop culture. And then I'll come out as the fly. And then I'll come out as this. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's you you misread the room, you know, or, you know, going too big with the life, like the 360 tours. Like maybe that was one step too far. You know what I mean? It's just like they never quite know where to dial it. You know, the, there's there's such a, a conflict between the record and the presentation, I think. And I think that's what that's that's where they get in trouble. I don't think anyone has a problem with like with the records, but something happens with the presentation that I think turns people off. Uh, Rattle and Hum I, has a few of those. I mean, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, like REM's tour film has that moment too, where Stipe is like, "That better not be Styrofoam, pal." The guy in the audience, and it's like they all have this like this sort of like <laughs> grandiose, like mm-hmm. I'm the pop star on the stage with the microphone, like uh, thing going on. I totally hear you there. And it's amazing that, uh, it, that it, they could misread the room so much like that, but yet they could still make groundbreaking music at the same time. And then at some point, I think it's, I think you can arguably say they stopped making groundbreaking music and they continue to sort of like be the old person in the room that was making the wrong, <laughs> the wrong move, you know? Um, and I say that, fully liking uh many songs on many of their recent records but um but there's something there's something missing there though from father to son the blood runs down see faces frozen still again This is my favorite album of all time. And, and so this is an album that means a great deal to me. And Micaiah has essentially in our third season of the podcast agreed to finally let us do an episode on this album that he doesn't consider to be a top 100 all time great album, even though it's my favorite of all time. I don't even think it's the best U2 album. Well, oh, and, that's... And, and that's, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. So let's talk just about Joshua Tree and in Zetha, I think maybe you and I can probably start this. And and there I think there are some things that Makai can probably 
even begrudgingly agree to on this. Let's talk about what is great about Joshua Tree. What is great about this album? I think it's perfectly sequenced. I think uh, it it starts really. I I think both sides are sequenced great. It has a great. It's almost like a really good book or a good movie. It's got a great flow. It's got a great opening track. I love how where the streets have no name opens and you got those like those I'm assuming they're like synthesizers or whatever. There's sort of like the, the, the bed, the patch sound there. And then the guitar comes in and then the bass and the drums, like do 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 thing. Like it's just got this, like, you're like, all right, like where what's, this is going to be a ride. I love how it's sequenced. Um, I think the songs are all extremely strong and, um, and like I said, I love how I really like how all the major hits are on side A and then side B, um, I think has some just some of my favorite stuff is on side B. Um, uh, so I, I don't know. It just it's a record that sounds like no other. It's one of those records where, you know, like you hear these songs on the radio all the time. You're like, oh, my God, I've heard this song so many times. I've heard like With or Without You so many times and and where the streets have no names so many times, but I don't change the station when they come on the radio. Um, I think they really have a staying power. And I think going back to what we were talking about, about um, uh, sort of this, like maybe the, the deliberate uh, speaking to America that they had on, on unforgettable fire. I think what really works in this record is that it's a very, it's very open to interpretation. You know, you can interpret this record as a spiritual record. You can interpret it as a, political record you can enter like i feel like the reason that this record is so successful in my mind is that you can kind of insert into it your own thing and a lot of these songs and um and i think that that that's got to be one of the reasons why it's so universally adored i I think where the streets have no name might be one of the all-time great opening tracks to an album like like you said like the 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 synthesizer that that opens that you know that kind of cf modulation on on that synthesizer at the very beginning you know suddenly that arpeggiated guitar part comes uh, in, in cuts through in, like cuts through the fog you know yeah, yeah just and it's so so big in six like in a in a time signature so essentially it starts in in three four or six four depending on how you count it um and then bass and drums come in and the time signature comes to four, four. So it's like this big kind of ethereal, you know, like you said, like, you know, this guitar that kind of cuts through the fog and then suddenly you find yourself in four, four and you're like, all right, we're, we're, we're into a rock song. We're into an album, you know, again, still I'm found what I'm looking for with or without you bolt the blue sky, like, the first four tracks of this album, it's just like hit after hit after hit after hit mm-hmm. after hit. And then you get running to standstill as the close of side A, which is kind of like, hey, like there's also more going on here. Yeah. And I do love like that there is Bono's religious fervor and the kind of overt spirituality of some of their songs sometimes can be a bludgeon. Like sometimes it can be too heavy handed. Um, and there are moments maybe on this album where that's true, but, but I love kind of the, the, the spirituality, the, the, the openness 
of side B. They're they're about kind of the spirituality of real day-to-day life almost. Mm. And so you get that running to Sand Hill, Red Hill Mining Town in God's Country, Trip Through Your Wires, One Tree Hill. And and so for me, like Exit might be the only song on the album where I go, all right, like I could do without that song on this, on this album. But every other song on here is strong. And even if like the critique is, well, all the best songs start the album, there aren't many albums I can think of that start that strong. Like there, there aren't any albums that I, that immediately come to mind where I'm like, Oh yeah, the first four tracks are these huge hits on, on that album. And then the rest of it is still interesting and it still invites you in. Um, And like you said, like there's, there's, there's never been a, a time that I've heard one of these songs that's come up on a playlist and I've skipped it or it's come on the radio and I haven't listened to the whole song or it's come up and I haven't like gotten somewhere in my car and like stayed with the engine on so I could continue listening to the song before getting out. I got to stick up for exit though. I, I love, and I'm going to sound like a creep because I want to talk to you guys later about exit and, and the true crime that was inspired <laughs> by it and all that stuff. But, uh, but for me, like that was the sound of like a bit, the band, like jailing in the studio. Like that's got some, for me, for my money, like some of the most electric, like, uh, bands, uh, interpersonal band dynamics on the record. It's great. I, I, uh, even more so, I think than some of the live versions I've heard, um, it's just got this like kinetic energy that I think is really incredible, but no, it's, I mean, it's, it's great. And I don't know, like I grew up, I grew up in a, I grew up, we went to church every Sunday and, mm-hmm. and I was, uh, uh, I was raised, uh, that way. And, um, and I never, when I heard this stuff, it was like later on, people were like, well, you choose a religious band. I'm like, huh? Like, really? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that. Like I, ne- that never, ever, ever crossed my mind. And, um, but of course I, I, again, I feel like it's because, especially when it comes to the Joshua tree, I feel like it's this, um, it's, so it's, it's open to interpretation in a way it's, it's, I don't find it to be, to be, um, to be heavy handed at all. Yeah. My guess is that you want to talk about 
Norman Mailer's Executioner song. <laughs> yeah, no, that okay. and what well, that well, no, it's just it's it's. Fa- I wanted to talk to you guys about this. It's fascinating. We started this uh, Disgraceland started this YouTube channel. We're doing this like this video content over there where we're telling uh, completely different stories than we tell on the Disgraceland podcast uh, on on video. And one of the ones we have was that there was a there was a murder that uh, happened in L.A in the early nineties, I believe I'm going to get the date wrong. I think it's the early nineties where this guy, this guy um, brutally murdered this actress that he was obsessed with. And he was obsessed with exit. Like he was obsessed with that song. And it was like, it was like the song that drove him to kill. And in the courtroom, they played this song for, it was kind of like when, when, um, uh, Hinckley tried to assassinate Reagan and mm-hmm. he was obsessed with Taxi Driver they the they showed the jury the entirety of Taxi Driver to kind of get into his head so at this trial they played Exit to get into this guy's head and we have footage of it in the video like while they're playing Exit he's like singing along and drumming on his legs he's like it's it's really creepy but oh, wow. but you two they, they when that happened they stopped playing they didn't play Exit for like 20 years live because of, of what happened with that crime and oh even, wow! I didn't Bono, know that. Yeah, and even and Bono said at one point they were. He said that song had a and yeah, Rob. It was based on he read the executioner song. It's like a song that's told from the point of view of a, of a, a murderer, a criminal. Um, Bono said the song had this power that scared him, and that one time on stage early on they were performing it, and he fell off the stage and almost like seriously injured himself, and he was like had this moment of like this song is the song is almost too powerful. And then this murder happens and they were like, whoa, like we're going to distance ourselves from this song and not play this at all. And they didn't play it for 20 years. I just, it's a fascinating story that I didn't know anything about because we have been trying to, I would, I wanted to do something involving you too, but back to what you guys were saying earlier, there's such a, there's such a clean band. They have no, there's like very little skeletons in their closet that, that are known about. So it's hard to tell the story of you two via the lens of true crime. But I found out about the story and it just like, it, it, it took me by surprise and just uh, was extremely, um, it's a crazy story. So I hope to God when they played it again, they said, this murderer in LA stole this song and we're stealing it back. This one's called Exit.
I find this album to be incredibly compelling. Now, it, it, it admittedly, you know, like, hey, I'm I, I'm a pastor. I'm someone who grew up in a very religious religious home. So, like, there was something at that age of like, here's here's a band that is like spiritual without being like a quote unquote like Christian band um, was was something that was certainly attractive to me. So, Rob, did that did you? did you identify them as that when you, when you were younger and heard them? I'm just, I'm curious because I, again, like I didn't, I didn't connect the dots. So strangely enough, I didn't. And, and this is one of the things that is interesting. So I I didn't connect them as like a, a, like, like Christian band or religious band when I was younger, when I was in college and um, all that you can't leave behind came out mm. and especially in, and again, so elevation tour live in Boston, that, that DVD, I, I mean, man, I watched that hundreds of times in like 2001 to 2004, the number of times I watched that, that concert and in their performance of walk on, um, you know, where he stops and it's, you know, what can I give back to God for all that he's done? For, like, like, mm-hmm. so it wasn't until my twenties in all that you can't leave behind came out and the elevation tour came out that it was like, oh man, like they're, they're really leaning hard into this. And I think obviously there was a lot that played into that. Um, and then of course, after, after, um, all that you can leave behind came out and his father's in Bono's father's death and how much that, you know, that I think plays in as well into his writing on how to dismantle an atomic bomb. Like, I, I think there were just a lot that he was probably going through in his life that I think so much more played into that. But as a musician um, and as a guitar player, like the edge just, I mean, he's, he's been the single most influential musician on me in my lifetime. Mm. Um, and, and so for me, actually the, um, the, it might get loud documentary where, it's, oh, yeah. um, you know, Jack white, the edge and, um, Jimmy page and Jimmy page. It's like that to me is, is maybe one of the most fascinating things as well. Like just kind of that dive into the edge as a guitar player, um, that, that I so appreciate, but, but again, for me, like all of that forms this, like, you know, I don't know if there's the right way to like, say like, okay, well, here's, here's why something grabbed a hold of me, or here's why I like this thing. So there's so much about this album and so much about this band that I feel like I can't even speak that compellingly or even, (laughs) or, or, or even intelligently about, because the thing is, is that this album and this band, that combination of whatever it is, that kind of like perfect recipe, there's just something about this album. I just respond to it just touches some part of me in a way that I can't even fully describe. And so it's hard trying to have intelligent conversations with Micaiah about this is why this is my favorite album, because once you get past the, well, here's all the ways I think it's really good. And here's how, you know, sonically this has become a really influential album. And here's all the ways that, you know, the production of it, his impact, music you know you can talk about all of those things but those things don't you know like the 
adding those things up together don't create the sum of parts that has it has become for me the the whole has become for me in my life and so I, it sounds like Zeth that, that you and I probably have a, a lot of similarity there in, all right, so why do you like this album so much? It's, it's hard to really put words around. I, I, it just spoke to me. It grabbed yeah. me in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it could have, I mean, who knows, it could have been a different band that I latched onto at 11 years old. And that became my, it's, it, it takes me back to a, to a time when like, when you're younger and music discovery was such a big deal, especially back in the, in the eighties and the nineties, when it wasn't as easy to, to discover, I feel like music, music discovery is easier and also harder now mm. um, because you can discover whatever you want, but that's the, that's the hard part, you know? And um, you know, I remember uh, if you wanted to hear a new song by a band, you'd hear it on the radio. And I remember, you know, leading up to Octum baby, sitting in the parking lot in my car at the mall when I was in high school and, and, and they were like coming up and like, next, we're going to play this new track from you two. And it was the fly. And it was like, unlike, and it was like, what is this? Like it was simultaneously like jarring and just like uh, exhilarating. And that feeling of like music discovery when you're younger, I feel like that's why I was talking earlier about you get cool when you get older, or at least I thought I got cool and it was like, no, nah, I don't like that stuff anymore. Like whether it's U2 or like all the other music that I like, Hugh Lewis in the news, John Kruger, Mellencamp, all the, all the stuff that I latched onto when I was that age, Tom Petty. Uh, and then you sort of, it's just, it doesn't, it, for me, it didn't leave me. And U2 in a big way, Joshua Tree, Rattle and Hum, that very specific like year or two of their existence is, is, um, I don't know. It's. I, I think you're right, Rob. It's hard for me to talk about it um, objectively, you know? Mm-hmm. wanted to try to do my top five without having the big three um but i'm gonna make a more honest list so i'm gonna have the big three all right mm-hmm. where the streets have no name top top 100 um album openers i will i will grant that every time because it is a great album opener undeniable song it's not london calling but it's a very good song <laughs> um so i'm found what i'm looking for you know and I think the American stuff is is stuff like this where 
there, there there's a little blue-eyed soul mm. kind of thing happening to Bono that wasn't quite on the earlier stuff. For sure. You know, so I think that's the the, the gospel influence, the blue-eyed soul. I think that's and like there's that and there's and then on side to a harmonica and people are like it's an American album. Um but you know, I I, I think that's where it comes from especially on on that song where you know uh, singing about like the cross and everything. It's just like, it's that I think becomes very American and it's sentiment and it's, you know, sentimentality uh, with or without you. Um, yeah. It's just one of those things where it's just like, you, you do hear it a million times. I've, I've listened to this at least twice a day, every day for the last few days to get ready for this more times than I've ever committed to the album, uh, like consecutively. And it's just one of those things where it's just like, you just, you get swept up in, these three songs like the, you i mean i'm just like at work just you know check along and then just you just find yourself just really your eyes are closed you're like mm. like yeah this is this is why this works because you know this it's just big powerful music um you know which i feel like i feel like uh here i am again like, talking about i feel like they tried to recreate that a lot and that's where the more they tried to like recreate that, the more the subsequent albums kind of fail, you know, like we need another big, epic, emotional, you know, sweeping, you know, anthem. It's just like, you don't, you don't have another one of these three. You're not going to get another one of these three, like yeah. on a record again. Yeah. Like you, you got to find another way to go, which is why I, I think like stuff like Zuropa is more interesting because it's so far away from even trying to recapture that. Totally. Anyway, um, running to standstill. Uh, Seth mentioned Nebraska. I mean, this straight up is a Nebraska. Like by the end of it, like he he is like howling just like Bruce Springsteen in Nebraska at this point. And I think that's another part of the kind of American thing about it is he's. I, I I I would like to read reviews from the time I haven't if if they're comparing him like oh he's doing he's openly doing Bruce Springsteen on Nebraska mm. when he's just kind of like doing those, those howls is that really what I'm talking about yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah totally yes yeah. like it, it it is straight Nebraska and maybe that's why I responded because I I really like Nebraska that record I really you know um probably more than any I would say U two album that I like um yeah. Um, so that puts me at four automatically and I like mothers of the disappeared. Um, I just think this is like a point where like, Oh, Brian, Eno uh, did work on this album after all, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, so just, there he is. yeah, it's just, very, but, but it's not Berlin trilogy. It's not, you know, late seventies, early eighties talking heads. Like it is what he's bringing to the table for you too. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's there is those sonic textures and that kind of wonkiness that turns into this subtle, beautiful song. And I I respond more to the strip down, like when they're not really trying to go for it, when they just kind of just like create like a texture without trying to like turn it to ten. Yeah. So for whatever reason, that that's a song I respond to where it's not like it's not like the arena rock alt arena rock stuff, but like that kind of like, you know, like, Hey, we, you know, it's just, it's just something else, you know, in that, that I appreciate. So the streets have no name. I, I think it is, I think it is one of the five best album openers of all time. I think it is 
I think it is a top 100 song of all time. It's just perfect. Um, so that, that has to be it. I could easily do still haven't found what I'm looking for with or without you. Um, but let's, you know, knowing, knowing the, the first three songs on the album are undeniable great songs. I'm going to skip the next two. Mm. Um, and I'm actually going to go to running to stand still. Great. Um, again, you know, I, I, I do think it, it really, um, it's just such a well-written song. Um, and then I'm going to go red Hill mining town. In's got in God's country and one tree hill. And, uh, red Hill was on my list initially and I took it off, but that's a, that's a great song. Yeah. I mean, just the hanging on, like just, Oh yeah. Like it's, Look, there's something about writing a really great vocal hook that, you know, obviously Bono wears all of his many, many influences on his sleeve. Mm -hmm. Um, But look, not not everyone can write a really great vocal hook. And Bono, you know, has demonstrated 40 years worth of being able to do it pretty well. Agreed. Sorry, quick, quick Bono tangent here. Have, Have either of you read his book yet? I was going to ask the same thing. I have not. All right, I haven't either. So uh, as, as big of a YouTube fan as I am, my sister-in-law is actually an even bigger YouTube fan. So right. one of the things that has been really nice is, so I'm, I'm a member of the fan club and my sister-in-law is as well. So Amy went to New York for his, his first performance the the first theater performance of of surrender yeah um and then they you know so they gave out the book as one of the the door things um she was she was not wild about the about the book um but but really loved the stage performance um and and talked about like kind of what what a treat it was to hear that and so i'm actually really excited now because they're they're essentially taking all of those like reworked classic songs Mm, and and releasing them as like a a four lp album so i'm i'm really excited in march for when that's coming out is that songs of surrender is that what that is yeah 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 surrender great song from war which is a maybe maybe a better youtube album who knows War is awesome. I, I war is great, man. I yeah. respond to war, not not actual war, but war the war the album. Conceptually, <laughs> war, war war is album. Bummer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zeth, let's hear your top five from Joshua Tree. So, I I I did want I, first. I resisted putting the big ones on here, but they're just like they're just too good. So, but I actually only went with where the streets have no name and with or without you. Um, uh, of the, of the big three, like those are my top two, um, with or without you is just so talking about like things being in the right place. It's just like sonically, like so well constructed, like everything is in the right place and it just makes sense as Mm -hmm. like an audio composition. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then the, my, my last three are all from side B and it's all, these are all songs that like feel to me like a band like really like connecting in the studio and that's trip through your wires in God's country and exit. 
Mm -hmm. Like they all feel to me like live, like a live band. I always love the, the, um, Bono's got these like in trip through your wires. He has these like, these like little like hoots and hollers he does like, and it has this like really like, it just has this like electric kind of feel to it. So, um, streets have no name with or without you trip through your wires in God's country exit right now, February 1st, 2023. That's my top five subject to change. Zeth, where do where can our listeners follow you? Where can they keep up with what you got going on? And uh, tell us about what's coming in the upcoming season of Disgraceland. Yeah, um, you can find me. I'm online here. I'm on like all the social media places, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, but um, Disgraceland is launching season 11 in... Um, in just a couple of weeks, uh, uh, Valentine's day, I believe is when we launch. Um, we were with Amazon the last couple of years and the big news at the, on January 1st is that, um, we're no longer an Amazon exclusive show and we're back to being in the wide feed everywhere, which means that, um, we've been sort of slowly re-releasing all of the, uh, the content that was previously uh, available only on exclusively on Amazon music we've slowly been releasing all that back into, so you can hear it anywhere, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Um, and then on February 14th, we got the new season. Um, I know we've got episodes on ACDC, 50 Cent. I think the two-parter on Willie Nelson is in that season. Um, and uh, my mind is gonna, I'm hitting, this is my 10 o'clock brain where I'm just like checking out. Um, but I will say it's a killer killer season um we're going to be going to like an always on model which is like we're going to be releasing stuff every week i think through the year um so we've got a lot of content coming there badlands which is our disgraceland spinoff show not about music but about like hollywood and sports and other things that'll be relaunching again this later this spring um and then the youtube channel that i mentioned before is our other major focus right now um, sort of like getting into the world of video and you can find that um, youtube.com slash at disgraceland pod. And again, we've got new stuff every day there. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be an exciting year for sure. 
That's awesome. Oh, and, and also I, I, I failed to mention, we just released this great show called History Listen on Audible. It's an Audible exclusive. St. Vincent is the host, um, Annie Clark of St. Vincent. Um, it's a show, um, it's about the history of rock and roll. Uh, ultimately, we're hoping to make other seasons and have them each season be about a different genre. But it's basically taking you from the early days of R&B all the way up through like Nirvana in this rock and roll season. And it's meant to sort of... Um, uh, tell the story of rock and roll in sort of like new and unexpected ways, like talking about people and uh, bands and artists and things that um, may have kind of been left by the wayside in the accepted narrative. Um, and uh, we, we produced that show and um, we wrote it. We, um, we scored it everything. And, and Annie of St. Vincent did an amazing job narrating that. You can find that on it on audible. That's great. Awesome. Great. Well, uh, listeners, we can't, we can't encourage you enough to check out that all that he's working on. And of course, um, you can still get it wherever books are sold. You can always pick up Zeth's copy of his 33 and a third volume on one of the greatest albums of all time. Stevie Wonder's songs in the key of life. Uh, he has been Zeth Lundy. Always good to have you, bud. And uh, we'll plan on seeing you much uh, sooner sooner than it was this past time. Please, we'll find, I, we'll find I, an I opportunity to get together. I love it. I love it. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. All right. Have a good one. All right. Later. later. Rob, you teased this in the beginning of the episode, and I'm sure I must have mentioned it during our conversation, Um, because I feel like it was a little extra sassy today. Um, I don't think this is even the best U2 album. So let's, for the two of us, do our top five U2 albums. I can go first. Um going five to one now i've i've listened to all 14 of their studio albums again to get ready for this i'm pretty fresh on them um so this but today this is how i'm feeling okay i'm gonna say number five zuropa from 93 which i think is just such an interesting move is one thing about you two for me is that I feel like for a lot of their career, they play it pretty safe. 
And Zuropa is not a safe album, right? They had a lot to lose coming off of Joshua Tree and Octung Baby, you know. So what you get is a is a very interesting album. Um, it's an interesting choice to make and decision to make for them. It's it's basically the OK Computer Kid A jump, well before that happens, you know. Um, but without all of the success and acclaim that Radiohead you know did so and i'm not saying this rope is as good as kid a but it's as bold a step i would say um so i i think that that is a very interesting album uh, and worth listening to um number four listening to war again this time i, I it slipped out a, a little bit of favor with me so i i have war at at four and then joshua tree at three and I think maybe that's because I've listened to Joshua Tree like two times a day for the last few days that I've just warmed up to a little bit more. Um, so, but Joshua Tree and War for me are very close at three and four. But Joshua Tree today and this week takes the lead over War. Um, number two would be Acting Baby, which I think is just like it, it could technically be their best album, actually. It's not my favorite, but I think it's maybe technically their best. One is amazing and 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 can stand next to where streets have no name with or without you. Like it's it's that big, great epic U2 song. But also, um gosh, uh, Acrobat, I think is amazing. Like, which is a song that like no one really talks about that I think is a really great song of theirs. Um, the the Wild Horses song mm-hmm. and um gosh, one of my favorites that I'm I'm totally until the end of the world. Till the end of the world is very good. Uh, I'm totally blanking on like what my favorite song. I, I have to look this up because it's driving me nuts. Ultraviolet, The Fly, Mysterious Ways. I wouldn't count The Fly among the, one of the best songs. Uh, oh no, trying to throw your arms around the world. I that that could be my favorite U2 song for whatever reason. I just this is a really nice sweet song. I I just really really like that song. Number one personal favorite is Unforgettable Fire. Uh, it's just that sweet spot. Right in between war, right in between... like they, they break in a big way with war, but Joshua Tree gets them to like superstardom, and right in the middle is this sweet spot with Unforgettable Fire that I just think is the best. I mean, it's like... It's supposed to this was like... They can't stay in that spot, though. The band dies if they stay there you know so they they have to do the next thing um you know so they're you know that i don't know if anyone course corrects more over 14 records from 1980 to 2017 than you two a lot of course correction in that discography mm-hmm. um but yeah for me unforgivable fire it's just it's it, it's just the one it's just like you and seth were talking it's like i just respond to it like that's of the albums in their discography, that's the one I just find myself responding to the most. Uh, even though over time I could see Actum Baby maybe taking the number one spot um, if I were to listen to it more and more. Um, but that's that's my five, and I'm sticking to it. So I'm going to give you my favorites, my my favorite U2 albums. Okay. Obviously, Joshua Tree is number one, so I'll give it to you one to five. Joshua okay. Tree, number one. Octung Baby at two. 
uh, All That You Can't Leave Behind at three, Unforgettable Fire mm-hmm. at four, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb at five. Those are those are what I think are my favorite. I'm going to say something here that, and again, I, I I'm saying this saying that Joshua Tree is my favorite album of all time. I actually think Octung Baby is U2's best album. Okay, it's, it's not it's not my favorite. It's my second favorite, but but I think it is their best. I I think it is it. it to the point you made when we were talking with Zeth, I think it does more of what U2 is capable of. I think it's more diverse in the kind of different sounds and soundscapes you get. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is more, um, I, I think, I think there is less quality drop song to song than you get in some places in, in Joshua tree. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I still find Joshua Tree a more compelling album than I find Octung Baby. Sure. If the point of the podcast is to make our list of the best 100 albums of all time using our criteria, it would be hard for me to imagine my favorite album of all time not making our list. Mm-hmm. First of all, for this season, right, we, we did a trade-off. We talked about this in episode one before we got into any of the albums, right? You would grant me Hounds of Love if I would grant you Joshua Tree, right? Because these are two albums that mean a lot to us personally. Kate Bush is in my, that that one's in my top 25, maybe top 20, you know, and maybe top, yeah, top 20 for sure. And this is your number one, okay? Fair trade-off, okay? And I think when we go to rank them at the end of the season, we do our, we try to rank them objectively best and our favorite. Right. So in making this list, we acknowledge, right, that there is a tension. There is a conflict, right, between trying to objectively say what are the best and also trying to insert our personal but informed, you know, bias, you know, and and preference, you know. So I think to make this list, to make an honest list between me and my taste and you and your taste is to include things that I'm not 100% on, you're not 100% on, but vice versa, right? It is something that means so much to the other person, right? That the list has to reflect our taste. And also, I mean, these these both those albums like, are spoken for. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like we're trying to defend like, oh no, this is my buddy's band from the, like, I know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not that. Like, these are albums that are spoken for. Right. Plenty of people would line up to back these up, you know, so I think it's appropriate uh, to have them on a list. Um, And also it's just like one of those things where it's like, well, if I'm making a list and it's me and my buddy and like, now it's just a list of things that like, you want to be able to co-sign at the end. You know, when we finally have our hundred albums, we want to feel good about what we've done. Mm-hmm. We don't want to look at it and be like, oh, I forgot one. My favorite album. I forgot. You know what I mean? It's like that. It, it almost is like, oh, well, in four years and it was all in vain. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you know, so we're, we're, we're trying to make a case, you know, and I mean, we're in against a lot of a rare position where Joshua Tree is an underdog of sorts now needs to be, you know, kind of defended for the first time. And it's lifespan you know so 
I mean that that that's the uh, this is coming. I mean, this is the first time that album's like really fallen out of favor on like a big list like that. Um. So yeah. So maybe, maybe maybe you forgot one. Maybe we are starting up that conversation and say, hey, d- don't let you two, you know, slip away. You know, you keep an eye on this. Absolutely. Well, listener, what about you? What do you think of Joshua Tree? Is this U2's best album? Does U2 deserve to have an album in a top 100 list? Let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter at You Forgot One Pod, on Instagram at You Forgot One. And Micaiah, wherever people are listening to this podcast episode, what should they do? Well, of course, they should leave us a five-star rating. Um, even better, you can write a review so that people can help find the show, and we would love to you know, hear what you think. Um, also, if you want new episodes as they're coming out, the best thing you can do is like, follow, subscribe, whichever your you know podcast provider tells you to do. Um, so every time we drop them, you'll have them right there, ready to go. That would be a great big help for us. Listener, we're going to leave you now with the song Bad from Unforgettable Fire, Micaiah's favorite U2 album. Great song, too. If you twist and turn